0: Hey everybody, I'm excited to have Agilos here, he is the Growth Product Manager at Growth Sandwich and he's going to be talking about the value gap today. I'm super excited but before we do, we jump into that, how's it going Agalos, how's your, your afternoon going? My afternoon is, uh, as, uh, as we were discussing before, It's busier than uh,
1: expected on a pre-Christmas period so I'm kind of freaked out by that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, hopefully we'll find some chill days uh, to relax before
0: uh, this damn year ends. (laughs) It's always over, man. Everybody was talking about how crazy this year really has been. But one of the things you said, I love asking questions about something you're passionate about. And you said that you do road trips uh, with with a caravan. What is that about? And curious, what your favorite road trip has been so far. To
1: be honest, I'm a a road trip amateur, so my answer won't be that exciting. I haven't uh, road tripped Costa Rica, for example, Uh, but I was living uh, on the border between France and and Germany a while ago. So I would say one of the best road trips, if someone likes uh, to do road trips, is the, the mainland of France, especially if you're a wine lover or a cheese lover. The mainland of France is very versatile and 10 times better than Paris, my view.
0: Okay, I've never actually been to Europe. That's like one of my, my wife and I were supposed to do some traveling before this whole craziness happened, but I'll make sure to make a trip there. That's a love one. Let's jump and talk about you. Can you share a little bit about how you became the growth product manager at Growth Sandwich?
1: Absolutely. So originally, I was a marketer. I was um, like a traditional marketer before the days uh, of growth, before all the things that we are working and discussing uh, nowadays. At some point, I started realizing that my marketing, the same marketing, the same quality of marketing that I used to do wouldn't work as much and as well as it used to work. And that led me to to product, realizing that the core of a go-to-market strategy is the product itself. And that led me to research. Because in my view, even small businesses, even uh, small startups nowadays, uh, they need to be surgically accurate in what they do. And one of the best ways to do that is to be research-driven. So I was working for a big corporate as a marketer. had freaked out a little bit by the corporate culture there. And I started my own business, Growth Sandwich. It's been uh, for uh, crazy years. Not years with the expectations that I had that I would work from exotic places all around the world and stuff. And uh, it would be very fun and crazy. But still, very good years. Full of research.
0: Okay. A very research focused. And I think that fits right into what we're going to be talking about as about value gap. I feel like user reach is a big part of that. You're going to talk a little bit about what it is and you know why companies go through that. Did you want to jump into that or whatever your, your topic is or your presentation is about?
1: Okay, yeah. There is a very big problem in uh, in the market and a very frequent problem that I'm experiencing. And this problem is called uh, the value gap. Mm. So what is the value gap? The value gap is the discrepancy between uh, the perceived value and the actual value. In a few very simple words, it's uh, when users expect something, but they experience something different. And it can be beautifully represented by by two circles, same circles that don't bridge the one to the other. So the value gap isn't a very complicated problem, but it can be caused by lots of different reasons. And in most cases, founders and software companies do not realize that they have a value gap problem, but they see the result of it, a symptom. So random symptoms, your um, performance campaigns are not performing, are not going well, or um, you have churn or your conversion rate is low. And pretty much these three problems are covering the the whole funnel. But if, for example, you misrepresent your solution and you have a fuzzy and confusing positioning, that leads users into your software with the wrong expectations. And that might cause a drop into the conversion rate and an increase in churn. On the other hand, if, uh, for example, you undersell your solution, but uh, your solution is way better than the way that you are selling it through your digital assets, that might cause a struggle into bringing new users in. Your Mm. ads, your campaigns are not really performing. But on the other hand, you seem to have happy customers. That's a very common thing that happens to me. A client comes to me, a founder comes to me and tells me, hey, we cannot bring more customers. Mm. And we don't know why because we have happy customers. We have a good product. Another very common thing, you oversell a shitty mm. product. <laughs> so that's also very frequent. So you have amazing landing pages and call to actions and a homepage and great copy, but uh, the actual product doesn't deliver upon expectations. And in that case, the value gap is expressed through, again, churn or a lower conversion rate. So the value gap in most times is expressed in different ways. And one of the one of the biggest problems is that if we do not identify it early, and if we treat the symptom, then uh, we just spend money, we just burn cash.
0: Interesting. You're burning cash, you're treating those symptoms incorrectly. Let's talk about how to fix that then. Like you're, we've talked about now, don't just focus on the symptoms. What should companies be doing to Try and they have that problem you mentioned. They have happy customers and they're having a hard time trying to get uh customers at the door or the other one where like you're overselling something that's bad, but you have customers that are some customers that are paying for it, but you don't really know that you're overselling it too much. How how do you fix that value gap?
1: Let me actually share my screen to show you something that for the people that uh, are listening that I will describe it as best as possible. This is a value gap canvas. So what you see here is um, on the left side, there is a circle that represents the expected value. And then there is another circle, same circle, that overlaps the first circle, that is the experienced value. So you can name it the way you want. Expected value can be, I expect the best solution in the world, or I expect not something very cool, or I just expect something different than the thing that you deliver. So it can be either better, worse, or just different. On the right side, we have the experience value, which is your product. The value that your product is actually delivering. When the experienced value, when the expectations of the user do not match the actual experience of the user, then we have a value gap. Now, how can we fix that? And how can we identify it first before we fix it? The way that we identify the value gap Typically, if we are not a research driven business, already having the setup and the research projects in place to reveal that there is a value gap, typically we experience the problem, the symptom. So we might have a low conversion rate and a churn, but our performance campaigns performing like a charm or the opposite. Not being able to bring new customers, but on the other hand, actually having a product that has managed to find product market fit. With a segment, with a, uh, with a reasonable segment of the market, so this antithesis between what's happening on uh, our acquisition and what's actually happening into our product from the perspective of growth metrics, actually reveals the value gap. Now, can we actually bridge the value gap entirely and simply and practically? Can we have fresh users expecting? exactly the same things that power users are reporting, that they are experiencing. No, we cannot have fresh users that are saying exactly the same things as power users. Mm. Why so? Because a fresh user always comes with some biases from the past. They have experienced other solutions or similar solutions or competitive solutions. When they join our solution, they might be influenced by something else or they might be influenced by their subjective biases on the other hand power users power users are sophisticated within our product they know our product in and out and in lots of these cases power users discover new use cases of our product which fresh users cannot we cannot expect them to know them in advance let me give you an example slack Slack is now used for communities as well. Can we expect from a fresh user of Slack that has no idea about communities to expect to build a community from Slack? Not really. What we can expect from a fresh user that joins Slack is to expect an easy, straightforward, simple communication with his team. That's a realistic expectation that actually Slack can deliver upon. If a fresh user expected something totally different from Slack or Slack would confuse fresh users into expecting a different value proposition or a slightly different value proposition, then the metrics, the growth metrics and the product metrics of Slack wouldn't be the same. Is that clear?
0: Yeah, super clear. It makes sense, right?
1: I didn't know, I didn't
0: answer you how we fix it.
1: Mm. <laughs> yeah, it totally makes sense. I explained to you how we identify it but um, how we fix it is a different story. And um, how we fix it is a matter of comparison. Okay. It's a matter of comparing data and comparing evidence. And what I mean by that, we have different touch points with customers and users. The first physical or digital touch point is when users come in. We either sell or they sign up. And it's the first time that we get to have an interaction with them. The second very important touchpoint that we have with the user is when they live. At this point, we might have customer success speaking with them or we might actually have a cancellation experience that asks them why they're living. In the middle, we might have some interactions with users if they have problems or if we are a research-driven business and we want to have some research. Now, the way to fix the value gap is basically by comparing What power users are saying, Mm. establish what needs to be the value proposition that users need to perceive, and then comparing that with what fresh users are actually telling you and why. So, if you speak with 10 or 20 power users and they tell you, I expect an orange, and then you speak with 20 fresh users and half of them tell you, I'm actually expecting lamb. We have a problem, Houston. And when you realize <laughs> that you have people living and churning your app or not never activating because they were expecting chicken and you gave them an orange, then you have a problem, Houston. So by setting up evidence sources either through user interviews or through qualification questions and cancellation surveys and being in the, into the mindset of comparing what people expect and what they get and how they report it is the basis, the high level basis of fixing and bridging mm. the value gap of trying to match what users tell you that they expect and what they actually get.
0: Mm. That's good. That makes a lot of sense. You're getting data. What are you expecting? And you know, what are your power users actually using or uh, realizing the value of your product? And if they don't match, then you do have that gap. So that's a way to get gathered data to identify that, you know, let's say you do find a mismatch, your expected users, what your fresh users are expecting versus what your power users are actually experiencing is different. Like, what do you do? What's the next step after that once you figure out there is a gap?
1: You fix it. That might initiate a slight repositioning mm-hmm. or that might initiate a retargeting. So the value gap isn't only a matter of you presenting your solution in a different way. It might be a matter of focusing on the wrong people. So bringing the wrong people in that have, that are wired with different expectations, that want different things. For example, and I gave you, I stretched it to make my point by telling you about lamps and oranges. <laughs> but in reality, we have industries that differences are not that distinct. We have, for example, the, the collaboration Vertical of software. We have dozens and hundreds of solutions that are doing almost the same thing. And all of them have a small difference, the one with the other. And they kill each other into competition. So all these solutions are trying to find their niche, are trying to find the segment that their value proposition becomes a priority for users. But sometimes they fail to do that. They fail to explain how they are different and why they are good. So it's more subtle than oranges and lambs. But yeah, if people do not understand what is your main value proposition and what differentiates you and why you are good, it's either because you are not as good as you think or because you don't present it the right way or because you focus on the wrong people. So when you identify it and you ask why through research, Mm. you get some reasons. And these reasons initiate projects. Either that is features, either that is positioning or that is different type of marketing. I don't really know because it's a it's a problem that can be expressed, as I said, across the funnel in different ways. So there is no silver bullet to fix yeah. the, the value gap.
0: Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. What do you do in a case that you're intending your product to be something, positioned in this, and then you find out that people are using it for... Something completely different now. Like you mentioned Slack, where like, you know, this is a messaging tool, but now communities are built upon that. That wouldn't be a a gap per se. Would you say that? Or is that something that you kind of roll with and like launch completely different positioning and landing page for that new use case? Like let's stick with Slack. Like should they do landing pages for communities who are built on Slack? That's an amazing
1: question. And I know why you were asking me that because uh, your experience uh, is mostly focused into that phase, into that part into the repositioning through research we we come from uh, similar worlds on that and i have been uh, involved in such projects and there are there are actually cases where a solution builds a, a product a, a company builds a product and then we might have some research on power users and realize that the way that they describe the product or the use cases that they have actually are different. And that might again initiate a repositioning. That is again a value gap issue. And why is that a value gap issue? Because we're basically aligning, we're not aligning our thought of value proposition, we are aligning the whole business with what our power users are saying. This is pretty much what we're doing again. But in that case, it's not us that decide what is right or wrong for the users to believe. And I have been in, uh, in similar projects, although it's, sometimes it can be tricky. Because, again, if you are lucky enough to do your research and find out that the vast majority of power users are using a software in a totally different way, then things are simple. You have your answer, uh, you deliver it, you mm-hmm. have done your job well. But sometimes things get a little bit more complex because you might realize that there are a lot of different use cases and some of these people pay, some others don't want to pay. Some of these people want features, some other people want different features. So it's a very delicate balance between picking the direction of the business that actually has financial benefit without giving a product direction that will follow you in the future.
2: Mm.
1: I know I haven't explicitly answered what, how you do that, but just to sum up, this is also a value gap issue just mm. from a different
0: angle. It's really fascinating. It seems like you can fix the value gap and then all of a sudden, like a few months later, it's a new totally value gap that you haven't experienced just because, you know, you users are using it for a different purpose.
1: Definitely, and this ah uh, the the example that we that we're discussing with Slack is um we discuss about Slack because Slack has a more disruptive approach in the market. It actually started as a disruptive uh, tool and now tends to become a dominant tool. So mm-hmm. every dominant tool in the market attracts everybody, and as a result, it's very natural that it will have lots of different use cases, because it's not yet a tool that changes the industry. It has already changed it and it, it it's mainstream. So it has lots of different use cases, just the way Trello is working. Trello is also used as a product road mapping tool, as a project management tool, as a sales CRM. It's because it's a dominant solution in the market at the moment.
0: I'm laughing at what you said about Trello because that's literally what I do it. Like I, when I write, I use Trello to like organize my thoughts. When I'm project management, I use Trello. Oh, that's totally funny. We've talked about this concept of value gap, and I haven't really asked you how big this problem is. I think something that you told us, our team, is that 9 out of 10 companies that you work with has this problem. Like, How big is the value gap problem? Like, How many companies have you worked with where like, oh, that's the reason why this marketing or that tactic or you're not acquiring user conversion sucks is because you have this value gap. How big is that, that problem?
1: Literally 95%. And uh, let me explain what I mean. Most businesses, um, it's either that or my confirmation bias, or I, want, or I attribute everything to value gap. <laughs> but most businesses um, that uh, I happen to work with come with a request. They tell me, we want to become product-led, or uh, we want to improve our acquisition, or mm. we want to reduce our churn. That's when I realize there is a misalignment between what they say and what they deliver. And, you know, we are discussing it loud like it's a very specific problem, but we are not discussing a very specific problem. We are discussing a very huge problem, which is universal, is that you have something, but you sell it in the wrong way or the opposite. This cannot but be 95% of the business problems out there. But the thing is how you approach it. If you realize that the reason you have churn is because of that or because you don't have a good cancellation experience and you need to hire a churn expert to tweak your cancellation experience. The second might be a symptom treatment and that might just push the problem further but not eliminate it.
2: Mm. That makes sense. But
1: the most common thing actually is the opposite. Uh, these companies might suffer from a low performance in their acquisition campaigns and they hire a, an ads agency, a performance ads, ads agency, and they just spend six months burning cash until they realize that
0: it wasn't the ads. It was something else. Interesting. So 95% of the companies you work with has this problem. What is the 5% doing <laughs> well? Like, tell, tell me about the ones that... The minority companies that you work with were like, oh, there's no value up here. What are they doing differently that resulted in them not having this kind of a problem? The
1: businesses that do not have that problem,
0: uh, they are either lucky and
1: it happens. So they had an amazing idea. They implemented it at the right timing and they managed to describe it in a simple way. They managed to overcome the being too close to the product disease. Therefore, I'm describing it in buzzwords. So they managed to overcome all these typical problems and they succeeded. Or they are customer-led. They are research-driven. They have empathy. And they treat research as something important within their operations. So a few companies that I've worked with didn't have that problem, the value gap. And uh, it's because they were doing their homework when it comes to research or they were just like. Oh,
0: yeah. Let's talk about the research. You mentioned that earlier. How often should they be doing research? Like, and you know, what what's involved in that? Like some people say, oh, I can just send a survey and I've done my research. Like, do you agree with that? Like certain situations where surveys okay and in certain situations where you do have to talk to customers. Like, what would you suggest to cut the companies about making sure that they're doing the research so that they don't get this value gap?
1: Every research tactic uh, has its role and its place and its timing. And uh, ideally, you don't want to stick to one research tactic. It's not all about surveys. It's not all about interviews. And uh, it's not all about data analysis, not all about uh, qualitative or all about quantitative. My view on that is that businesses need, at first they need to know what they don't know. And Mm. as soon as they have the awareness of what they don't know, the first thing before they start any research, before they hire any researcher, before they outsource any research, is just to take advantage of the existing digital and physical touch points to perform subtle research. For example, you might perform demos. Use the first five or 10 minutes to do some questions. Work on these questions and ask why. You might do consolation interviews, or you might just genuinely want to speak with customers that are important for you and they canceled. Use this opportunity to ask them a couple of things. On the other hand, digital touch points. You have some bandwidth for friction during the onboarding. You can deliver a qualification page asking a couple of things. How do you identify? What do you expect? Mm. What is your role within the business? You have some bandwidth there from the perspective of the user. Ask it. Then on the other hand, you have some bandwidth when they cancel. Ask something. Treat this whole thing as one project. Consider, I have people coming in and then coming out. It would be great if I could have data here, data here, and data there, so that I could have a bigger picture of the journey of the user. So this is, this is the, in my point of view, the biggest advice on how to do that, how to solve that. And the second one is ask why. Mm. The, the, the second major problem that I, that I encounter is that uh, companies take users' and customers' answers at their face value. For example, why are you churning? I'm not using it anymore. Or why are you churning? Because it's too expensive. Too expensive compared to what? Mm. You're not using it anymore because of what? Why? You used to use it, now you don't. What happened? So just performing changes with face value feedback, like it's too expensive, okay, let's reduce the price, might actually cost you more than performing a little bit of research. So ask why and treat your digital and physical touch points with customers as a whole and
0: as research opportunities. So good. Yeah, that's such a good advice in terms of that. As I wrap up all of this, we've talked about so many things so far about the value gap. If you can summarize what we talked about, or you can even share any other piece of advice that you have, what would be one or two pieces of advice you'd like to share to product-led growth founders or marketers or product people that they should be doing today?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Actually, I would want to direct my advice to both companies that are product-led, but also companies and especially companies that want to be Mm -hmm. product-led. Being product-led is amazing. Is the best thing that happened in the last 15 years in the industry, but it's not a silver bullet and it puts too much pressure to your product. So you need to be ready to display your product without hand holding. Mm. So just being product led, just sticking and onboarding and low touch onboarding, or just replicating things that other companies have done might actually backfire on you. Because if you do not have the product that can do the job without the human factor hand-holding users, it might actually backfire on you. So, before you become product-led, make sure that you have sorted out basic things like positioning and UX. Because if you haven't, the scalable marketing tactics that you want to use and that's why you're becoming product-led for scalability, Mm. they will backfire. And on the other hand, if you are product-led, keep in mind that when you are product-led, the importance of data and qualitative evidence is 10 times bigger. So double down on data, double down on evidence. This is the reason that in the product-led era, customer support becomes customer success, because we need Mm. people that are more product sophisticated and can actually perform research.
2: Interesting.
1: So everybody in a product-led
0: business needs to be a little bit curious as a researcher. That's so good. I really love that point. Customer support becomes customer success. So good. I think, I think I'll leave it at that. Thank you for sharing all of that advice. Just one final question. If people wanted to know more about what you do, do you want them to follow you on Twitter or LinkedIn? Uh, and also if they wanted to know more about Growth Sandwich, where can they go? This is essentially your call to action Action to plug anything in.
1: Okay, my call to action. I need to make good use of that. Uh, my call to action. Uh, so they can find me on LinkedIn and ask me anything. Just have a chat about cool things that we both enjoy, like the value gap or research or stuff. They can visit my website, but that's a very old school call to action. I would prefer just uh, casual chats about uh, geeky stuff, geeky topics like the one we are discussing at the moment.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time, Agalos. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Ramli.